Hello, welcome to Fitch's Global Economic Outlook podcast for December 2017. I'm James McCormack, head of the Sovereign Team, and I'm here with Brian Colton, Fitch's Chief Economist. In this episode, we're going to focus on the drivers of global economic growth, key risk factors to consider in 2018, and a first look at what we might expect to see in 2019. So, Brian, we've had another Global Economic Outlook publication and another set of upward revisions to our uh, key forecasts. The report that we just published cites investment pickup and consumer confidence as factors that are supporting growth. So talk to us a little bit about some of those details. Where is that happening and why is it happening? On the consumer front, I think the improvement in labour markets across the advanced countries is, is underpinning consumer confidence. We're seeing saving ratios fall and that's providing an important sort of backstop to growth. It's not necessarily a factor in the positive surprises that we're seeing, but it's certainly uh, you know, a very important part of the overall growth number that, that, that we're getting. I think where the positive surprises have been has been on the, on the CapEx front, on the investment front. We've seen, particularly in the Eurozone, uh, across most of the major economies, better than expected investment in the last couple of quarters. And that's really where we've become significantly more optimistic about 2018 than we were before particularly for the Eurozone, where we've upgraded our growth forecast by 0.4% since September, and that's mainly explained by CapEx. Uh, There's a number of things going on. One, I think, is that in the last few years, uh, certainly the last, last five or six years since the global financial crisis, there's always been some looming threat that's going to upset global growth in the next in the next 12 months. There's been something that businesses and the financial markets, governments have been worried about really scuppering global recovery, and that's been undermining confidence. So for this kind of rolling set of risks, US fiscal cliff, Eurozone uh, crisis, fragmentation risk, China hard landing in 2015, where we sit now, it's quite hard to, to really pinpoint what that looming threat is. It's, it's, you have to get quite creative to come up with scenarios that are really going to create a global recession in the next 12 months. And, that, and that's quite different and to what we've had before. And I think what that means is that the sort of traditional accelerator effect that you'd expect when final demand is growing strongly, you'd normally expect to see CapEx growing even more strongly and starting to pick up. I think we're now moving towards that sort of a cycle. And we're seeing a number of indicators uh, we're seeing it in business confidence measures. We're seeing it in surveys of, of CapEx intentions that, that, that are coming out. We're seeing it in, in the orders numbers. And the, and the other factor is, is the labour market conditions I've talked about. It's, there's, there isn't the spare labour around anymore in terms of unemployment rates uh, in order for firms to use the option of expanding employment as, as the means of increasing, of increasing output as, as demand grows. So they're, they're going to be almost forced in a way as the cycle matures to turn to more CapEx in order to meet, meet ongoing demand. And, so, and would you say these these conditions are evident in Eurozone, US, Japan? Uh, Japan has certainly seen better numbers over the last couple of years. There's no doubt there's been a response to the easing there on the CapEx side. So I think some of those forces are true in Japan. But in terms of how our forecasts have changed since September, it's, it's primarily the Eurozone, but also the US. Uh, we, we, we've upgraded our forecast for private investment in the US as well. But the big adjustments have been for the Eurozone. Okay, maybe a quick word on the UK in the context of, of those factors. Maybe that's the one country that doesn't fit the mold. It's true going forward it doesn't fit the mold, but I think it's also interesting maybe just to digress a bit on why has the UK been a bit better than we thought it was going to be when we were putting our forecast together just after the Brexit referendum vote? Well, one reason is this global story and the strength of the Eurozone economy in particular, it's our biggest trading partner after all, you know, that's been much better than, than we thought back then. And that, that in, increased global growth, global demand 
has probably been a factor that's kept UK investment going up to now a bit better than, than, than we thought, because we did think investment would slow very rapidly in the second half of 2016. Hasn't happened. But the latest numbers, the, the numbers we're starting to see now, uh, the Q3 national accounts data in the UK did show a slowdown in business investment. Uh, and we're starting to see it in the investment intention survey. So the CBI survey uh, showed a big decline in the latest balances, suggesting UK uh, capex is, is going to slow. So the, as, as the as the March 2019 deadline approaches, you know, each week we don't get we don't get any progress on the negotiations. I think that's going to have more and more of an impact on firms. Uh, deciding whether or not to, to, to expand their expand their investments. So the UK has benefited from this story last last year or so, uh, but going forward, we think it's taken a diverging path because of the Brexit uncertainty. Okay, so let's change gears a little bit and talk about some of the key risks that uh, that you're focused on for for 2018. So, as you said in your your opening, you know another forecast, another set of upgrades. Uh, you know we can't discount the upside risks. We've got more optimistic on investment, but if if a traditional type of accelerator approach, if that proves to be correct, then we, we could be looking at substantially stronger investment forecasts than we have. We've still been quite cautious on the capex uh, on the capex outlook. U.S. fiscal easing looks like it's firming up now. We've got we've got uh, you know we're, we're closer to having a, a, a concrete plan on the table than we've been for a, a, a long time. So that you know there there is there is an upside there is a, you know an important upside risk on the on the growth front. Uh, from from capex uh, and and uh, uh, you know more fiscal easing than we've than we've assumed. To some extent, one of the more important downside risks for the next two or three years, and we'll come on to this, but is 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 related to if that upside risk on growth materialises, uh, inflation starts to come through. You know, central banks are forced to adjust rates more quickly than than is, than is currently factored in. But that's a risk that could happen anyway. We don't necessarily need stronger growth. I mean, we're you know, lots of these different central bank surveys of agents around around the country and various other surveys pulling increasingly to talking uh, firms talking about labour shortages. Mm-hmm. So you could get wage inflation pick up. You know, everybody everybody's been, you know, writing reams and reams about why wage inflation has been so low. But it, you know, we could be surprised on the on the positive side. Now, in the near term, that might bring a bit of extra growth with it because of the boost to the consumer. But it would certainly bring a more rapid monetary policy adjustment, and then you're in the potential for uh, in interest interest rate hikes. Uh, you know, being a big shock to to, to, the, to the financial markets. Um, so more of a shock to markets because I think we've got rate hikes penciled in for for 2018 that are. More aggressive than the market. We, we have, but uh, I think if, uh, but that's not based on a view that wage inflation takes off or, or inflation really rises sharply. That's just based on a kind of normalisation view. So it w- I think if this wage shock that I'm talking about manifests itself, even relative to our expectations, okay, so even be, higher than what we're we, saying, we, we, okay. we'd, be, we'd be looking something more aggressive. I think you know the ECB stopping its expansion before September 2018, for instance. So, uh, okay, that, that would be a big shock. So I wanted to cover China a little bit, and I know you've been looking at. House building in the housing sector is a, one of the key metrics in trying to figure out where China is going. So what have you seen in that sector recently, and what do you think it, it tells us about what we might see in 2018? We have upgraded our China forecast marginally uh, by 0.1 in, in 2017 and the same in, in 2018. Partly the external side is a bit stronger. Ex- export growth has, has, been, has, has held up uh, really well. The housing market first half of the year was a bit stronger than we thought. We expected the housing market to slow down a little bit earlier than, than actually happened. There, there may have been some sort of quasi-fiscal reasons behind that, some, some quasi-fiscal support for housing sales. But what we've seen in the last few monthly prints is actually 
the traditional relationship between credit conditions in China, which have been gradually tightening, uh, and, and housing sales uh, has, uh, has once again uh, reasserted itself. The last two months, we've seen negative year-on-year -year growth in housing sales and also seen a slowdown in house building, uh, although that's still, still positive. We think housing starts will start to decline year-on-year -year in, in the next quarter or so, uh, and, and that will have an impact on growth. So, so we are looking for you know, the slowdown in GDP growth in China that we were expecting you know, we think the evidence is still consistent with that, even though we've had to upgrade our forecasts. And given that we're moving into 2018, probably time for us to start talking about 2019. So in your view, when we think about the conditions that we're about to see in, in these favorable growth conditions that we're about to see in 2018, what are the prospects for that extending into, into 2019? Or do you think some of these risk factors that you've alluded to kind of catch up with us? Well, it's true that we are now in a sort of slightly longer cyclical upturn than we anticipated you know, even six months or three months ago. So, you know, we thought 2017 was going to be the peak. It's now going to be 2018. Uh, is going to be the peak in global growth. But I would still subscribe to the view that once we get beyond this year and next year, we'd expect a bit of a reality check in terms of, uh, you know, how fast can the advanced countries really grow in, in the medium term. And, and we, we don't really see grounds for making big upgrades to our assessment of, of potential growth. We look at the demographics, we look at productivity improvements. You know, we may get some temporary benefit from higher investment, which could feed through to higher productivity. So that, that, that may elong, elongate things a little bit. But broader scheme of things, you know, looking out five years, you know, we'd still be putting potential growth rates one and a quarter to one and three quarter percent uh, for, for the US and, and, and Europe. And so the longer you extend your actual forecast horizon, you know, the, the closer you, you get to sort of, you know, it's, it's natural to expect the economy to, to sort of converge on, on that rate. That, that's one aspect of it. The other is that, that one of the... Um, you know, reasons we become more optimistic about 2018 is that global financial conditions have actually been easing in the last three months, even though the Fed has carried on tightening, even the US financial conditions have eased. And we think that's partly down to global monetary policy developments, particularly the ECB, whose purchase program is remains huge and, and has been extended for a longer horizon and in a greater amount than we than we anticipated. So the ECB has been more dovish than we anticipated. And I think that's keeping global financial conditions pretty loose. But if we're right about the, the, the growth forecast, what it means for the tightness of labour markets, we really can't see the ECB carrying on with the asset purchase program beyond 2018. So then you're going to be looking at a withdrawal of monetary policy stimulus. We do think the ECB is going to raise interest rates in 2019, probably second half of the year, given what they've said about not raising rates until after the asset purchase program has, has continued. But, but nevertheless, the Fed is going to continue to be tightening more rapidly than the market expects uh, on, on our view. Another three rate hikes in 2019. 19, got to be joined by the ECB, Bank of England as, as, as well. So we're going to get a broadening of interest rate hikes. And then into 2020, that's when we see central banks in aggregate, the four central banks in aggregate that have been doing QE, will actually be uh, re reducing their balance sheets. We, we think that's a pretty big change in global monetary conditions in, in the medium term. And, and that, in addition, is going to take some, some toll on growth. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much for joining us today. The next podcast in this series will be in March 2018.